I am very excited about this new series that we are starting. It's called CrossFit. And you may, have met, you may have noticed that on the platform, there is some gym equipment. And don't worry, we're not going to be passing out dumbbells and calling some of you up to work out. Um, we're going to talk about spiritual training for godliness over the next six weeks. And very excited about this. And we're going to talk about it here this weekend and for the next six weeks to come. I want to begin by asking you a question. Have you ever thought about what it means to be a Christian? Or if I was to ask you, how would you define being a Christian? If I was to give you a piece of paper and say, write out the definition of what it means to be a Christian, what would you write? I thought about that earlier this weekend and actually posted that question on uh, my social media sites and I got some responses that I want to share with you. And of course, as we look at defining and and answering that question, what does it mean to to be a Christian, it really depends on who you ask. And so many of the responses that I got were from fellow believers in Jesus from other Christians. And these are great answers, and some of them included, a Christian is someone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to recognize my character flaws and to work on them. A Christian is someone who loves God and serves others, to accept Christ and his ways, doing the best we can because we love him. A Christian is someone who accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. A Christian is believing Jesus is really the son of God and that he came to earth to die for our sins. To have a daily prayer life and to allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. A Christian is someone who has a relationship or a friendship with Jesus. A Christian is a person who loves others. A Christian is someone who knows Jesus. Those are all really good answers. And It can be hard to define, but as I said before, it really depends on who you ask. I want to read you one other definition. And to be frank, this one will probably be hard for all of you to hear. Because this definition comes from a person who was a former Christian and no longer identifies themselves as a Christian. When I posed the question, I said I wanted to hear from those who were part of the faith and who weren't. This is a dear friend of mine that I've known for years and they messaged me and I asked their permission if I could read this. So again, this is from a former Christian. This is how they would define it. To be a Christian means there is only one right answer for everything. If you choose to live your life any other way, you are not worthy of living and you will burn forever in eternity. You must not hang out with non-Christians, for they will impact your faith. You must judge them harshly for not living their life the same way. You must hate the LGBTQ community the most. For loving someone with all your heart, if they are the same gender, is a sin. And how, quote, terrible it is for a child to be raised by same-sex parents, parentheses, This was a quote from one of my family members. And to be a Christian means that women are inferior, that your life purpose as a woman is to serve your husband and be submissive to him. 
To be a Christian means shame, guilt, shame, judgment, shame. Now, we're not going to discuss and break down the theological doctrine of that comment. But as I told you, it depends on who you ask. And the reality is that as Christians, we can really agree on the definition of what it means to be a Christian. But I think you would all understand that we live in a world where there are those outside the community of faith that have a definition for us as self-identifying Christians. Have you ever wondered where the word Christian came from? Did you ever wonder about that? Well, I'd like you to know that the word Christian The Bible gives us where the word originated. Let's look at this together in Acts chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can look at this. This is where the word Christian is first introduced. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now this is after, you remember Saul, most of you know and remember from Sunday school that Saul was knocked off his horse, had an encounter with God and God changed his name to Paul. Saul used to be the one who persecuted Christians. Well, this is after that fact. And Barnabas, after that had happened, he had went to Tarsus to find Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And then the Bible says this, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So the term Christian was first used by the people of Antioch to describe those who followed Jesus. Now Antioch was a city far from Jerusalem and the church had been planted there. And if you go and you read through that 11th chapter, you'll see that the Bible says that Barnabas was a man filled with the spirit of God and Paul and Barnabas began teaching. And what we just read is that it was in Antioch that the disciples, these followers of Jesus, were first called Christians. Now, I want you to catch something here. The church didn't call themselves Christians. It was the people in the community, it was the people of Antioch that first began to call the disciples Christians because of how they acted, because how they spoke, and the behavior represented this Jesus of Nazareth. Did you catch the difference there? Christians, the early church didn't self-identify and put bumper stickers on their car or on the back of their horses and say, hey, I'm a Christian. It was the community that recognized that their lifestyle represented and looked like this Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, even in scripture, the Greek word Christianos, which means follower of Christ, is what Christian means in the Greek. It's only used two other times in the New Testament. Those first followers of Jesus, they didn't self-identify and say, walk around and say, I'm a Christian. Again, it was their fellow citizens who saw the difference in their lives and connected them with Jesus. So I would offer to you this definition of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone whose behavior and heart reflects Jesus Christ. Christian is someone whose behavior, what they do, what they say, how they live, how they act, and their heart, their thinking represents the Jesus in the Bible. 
C.S. Lewis had a great definition of what it means to be a Christian too. He said, a Christian is a little Christ, that you and I represent Jesus Christ. So you see, the more a person's behavior and heart reflects that of Jesus, they are growing to become like Jesus. We also say they are growing in godliness. And how many would agree that as a Christian, our goal, as a follower of Jesus, our goal should be to grow in godliness? Do we agree with that? Hopefully, we all agree. Our desire is to grow in godliness. We want to grow to look and act and talk more like the Jesus of the Bible. Well, growing in godliness is really devotion in action. We can be devoted people, but if we're gonna grow in godliness, it has to move from just our thinking in our heart to how we act and how we live. So over these next six weeks, over these next 35 days or so, we are gonna look at very practical ways, biblical ways in which we can grow in godliness. And as we do, hopefully those around us, just like in Antioch, will begin to see changes within us Whereas just like the followers of Jesus in Antioch, we won't have to self-identify as a Christian because our community will see Jesus in us. So how do we grow in godliness? How do you do that? How are we transformed to be more like Jesus? It's a good question. So this series, we're gonna take one text and it's gonna be the overarching theme or the umbrella over the next six weeks of these spiritual disciplines. And this verse, Paul talks about it, the same guy that was with Barnabas and Antioch when they first started calling the disciples Christians, he writes these words to his young Padawan, Timothy. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, and I think this would be a great scripture to memorize. I know I've asked you throughout the year to memorize Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, but I think this also would be a great verse for you to memorize and meditate on. And let's look at it. This is the theme verse for the next six weeks. Paul writes, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales, but instead, Paul says, Train yourself to be godly. Everybody say that. Train yourself to be godly. Then he says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. Train yourself to be godly. Now that Greek word train is actually the word gymnasia. Does that sound like any of the words that we use? Okay, we're heading into the Summer Olympics. Train means gymnasia, which of course, where we get gym, gymnastics. Train yourself. It's an example. There's an there's a indication of physical energy. And that's why we have gym equipment up here. Now, I know by looking at me, you can tell that I am in pristine physical condition and shape. And that physical training is something that I do regularly. My wife's going to call me out on that one. Well, you understand, and many of you do understand that physical training, how many know that requires discipline? Okay. You can want to be physically fit all you want. But unless your tail gets up out of bed in the morning or late at night and goes to the gym, you can want all you want. 
but it's not going to happen. You have to be disciplined in physical training. The formation of healthy habits and routines that strengthen your body and cause you to go in strength. In fact, it's not just true with physical training. It's true with anything that you desire to grow in. Some of you are incredibly gifted in your job and your careers. And my guess is that you just didn't decide one day you wanted to be an accountant and you were a great accountant the next day or a chemist or an engineer or whatever it is that God has called you to do. No, you probably studied, you got a job, you, you had training, you went to school, you read, you read, you learned, you trained yourself, you were disciplined in your craft. Many of you have hobbies. Our former pastor loves fishing. My guess is he had to fish to become a good fisherman. Now I can't testify to whether he's a good fisherman or not, but I've seen some of the pictures and he looks like it. I love to golf. Well, the only way you become better at golfing is by golfing. So whatever hobby it is that you do, if you wanna run a marathon, you don't just go and run 20 some miles one day, you have to train and prepare for it. How many know if you wanna be a good parent, you have to be disciplined in parenting. So whatever it is we do in life, whether it's physical training or hobbies or your career, something you want to gain experience and skill with, you have to be disciplined. And I think we all understand that. There are no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. It simply takes dedication and discipline. However, we often put more effort and energy into those types of things than we do our own spiritual growth. Let me say that again. We often put more effort and energy into our career, into being a better parent, and there's nothing wrong with that, we should, into our hobbies, into physical training, than we do our own spiritual training, our own spiritual growth. And that is what Paul is saying. It's the essence of what he's saying. Train yourself to be godly. He said that physical training is good. It's great you do all these things, but spiritual training is so much more important and there are no shortcuts so what does it mean to train for godliness what does this spiritual training that Paul is talking about actually look like well there's a phrase that we use and if you've been a Christian for any length of time you you probably will be familiar with it's called the spiritual disciplines now I don't know about you but that word discipline is just not a friendly word I mean, you just, you hear the word discipline and you're like, I want nothing to do with it. But Paul is saying we need to be disciplined spiritually. And so spiritual disciplines, if I was going to define that, I would say that they are practices found in scripture that promote spiritual growth in followers of Jesus. They are the habits or practices of devotion that have been practiced by people of God since biblical times. They are disciplines. They're not easy. They don't come natural. They're habits, they're practices, they're regular spiritual routines that followers of Jesus should be regularly committed to. Habits, things that we're gonna look at over the next six weeks, such, such as Bible intake. What do you mean by that? Bible reading, meditation, memorizing, Prayer, communication with God, listening and talking to God, living and engaging in a community of faith with other Jesus followers. 
and being good stewards, stewards of our talents and stewards of the treasures that God has given each and every one of us. So as we examine and as we practice these formative spiritual habits or disciplines, it's really important as we kick this series off that you understand three things as we look at spiritual disciplines. And here's the first. We're gonna take six weeks, but know that the, the six disciplines that we're looking at are not exhaustive, okay? They are biblical, but God gives us an incredible amount of freedom in how we practice spiritual disciplines. There are plenty of spiritual dif- disciplines that we're not gonna talk about. And we tend to overcomplicate, we over tend to complicate them as we walk with Christ. We make spiritual discipline and, and, and personal devotion time or habits, habits of grace, sometimes people call it. We make it overly complicated. The how we do it, the how you do it in your personal life is, is, is not nearly as important as just being disciplined to do them. So you may say, okay, well, Alan, if you're only going to take six and that's not exhaustive, what are some of them? Well, let me just spit some out at you. I already mentioned Bible intake, which includes Bible reading and meditation and memorizing. There's prayer, worship, evangelism is a spiritual discipline. Serving is a spiritual discipline. Giving, fasting, practicing silence and solitude, learning and studying God's word, and even journaling can be a spiritual discipline. So one, it's not exhaustive, but they're biblical. And we need to be less concerned with the how because each of us are individual and God gives us incredible amount of freedom than we are that we are just committed and disciplined to do them regularly. Here's the second. We have to remember that as we talk about spiritual disciplines and commit to them, that spiritual disciplines are the means, they're not the end. Remember the goal for us is not just to be disciplined and wrote in Bible reading and prayer and fasting and giving and serving or attending church. That is not the goal. The goal for us is to grow in godliness for us to be more Christ-like. Do you understand the difference? It's a means, it's not the ends. If there's one thing, if you walk away from this message this weekend with one thing, it's this statement. You can be spiritually disciplined and not grow in godliness. But you cannot grow in godliness and be spiritually disciplined. Okay, again, Alan, what do you mean by that? When we look through the New Testament, the Pharisees were spiritually disciplined. They were spiritually disciplined, but they didn't grow in godliness. Let me tell you, you can read your Bible every day, you can pray, you can fast, you can journal, you can serve here at a church and never miss a service. But if the Holy Spirit is not doing transformation in your heart, it doesn't mean you're going to grow in godliness. However, I do not believe, and I believe the Bible teaches that you cannot grow in godliness without prayer, without reading God's word without being good stewards to the things God has given you, your time, your treasure, your talents, and without living in blessed community. You can be spiritually disciplined and not grow in godliness, but you cannot grow in godliness without being spiritually disciplined. Jesus was walking right in front of the Pharisees and they didn't recognize him. And they were probably some of the most spiritually disciplined people at that time. Jesus was in their very presence and they didn't recognize him. So here's the thing though. We 
it begins with we just have to show up. You got to get up and go to the gym. Showing up is half the battle. And I'm going to call that abiding in Christ. So if you will, this is the first discipline and the, the most uh, significant discipline as you, as you get going, as we go through this in the next six weeks, that all spiritual disciplines or practices begin with making the commitment to abide in Christ, to abide in Jesus. When we abide in Jesus, we are regularly connected to him through these habits of grace and our lives begin to produce godly fruit. Let me explain by this. Jesus says this in the book of John. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Abide in Jesus. And if we do, well, he says, a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Jesus says, neither can you unless you abide in me. We have to show up. And so when we talk about personal time of devotions or being spiritually disciplined or when we finish the message, I'm going to talk about finding a, a time and a place that is regular, forming habits. I'm talking about abiding in Jesus, showing up and being faithful and committed regularly to saying, Jesus, I'm here. I want to abide in you. I'm connected to the vine. Here's the third one, and this may be the most important one to remember. Developing spiritual disciplines is our responsibility. No one can do it for you. It's your responsibility. It's on you. But it is the Holy Spirit who enables our, trans our transformation. You have to show up. But just because you do the spiritual disciplines doesn't necessarily mean the transformation is going to happen. It's not by doing the, the spiritual disciplines that you're transformed. It's in doing so, the Holy Spirit will be the one that brings transformation. The Apostle Paul writes of the Holy Spirit's role of transformation in our life when he wrote his letter to the church in Galatia. I want to read this to you before they put it up on the, on the screen. Paul in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, he says to the church, so I say let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So he's talking about it's the Spirit that grows us and leads us in godliness. Are you with me? What's the opposite of godliness? Our sinful nature. And Paul just, as I just read, these two forces, our sinful nature and growing in godliness, are against each other. So before we talk about what godliness looks like, Paul tells us what the sinful nature is, what godliness isn't. So Paul says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are pretty clear. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, Quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, 
drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Now, let me tell you something. You know what we often do as Christians? We read through that list, and which ones do we tend to highlight? Yep, sexual immorality, that's sinful. Impurity, lustful pleasures, uh uh-huh. Sorcery, uh uh-huh. Let's see here. Drunkenness, wild parties. Let me read you some of the other ones that Paul says are also our sinful nature, that are not godliness. Quarreling, jealousy, selfish ambition, dissension, division, and envy. It's the opposite of godliness. But he also says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. So as we abide in Christ, as Jesus said in John, when we are connected to him, where he's the vine and we're the branches, we can't produce any other, the only fruit we can produce is the sinful nature. But here's the fruit when we abide in Jesus, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fruit that abiding in Christ produces. That is what it means to be godly. That's what growing in godliness looks like. That's what it means to look and act and talk like Jesus. That is a picture definition of what it should mean to be a Christian. This is the fruit of a godly life. And this fruit is produced by the Holy Spirit through the practice of our spiritual disciplines. So here's what I'm asking. Now, for many of you, you practice these disciplines. I've said it before. One of the things I love about this church is the spiritual maturity of this church. And I believe that the spiritual maturity that this, a lot of this congregation has is because you are faithful to the spiritual practices and disciplines. But my prayer is that as you continue to do that, that God would maybe take you to another level in those spiritual disciplines. Maybe that you would expand. Maybe for some of you, you've done it for so long and it's become rote or boring. And my prayer, and I believe that by faith, God is gonna stir something new. And for others of you, it's been a bear and you've been beat up by guilt because you have in your mind what your devotions are supposed to look like or what spiritual disciplines are gonna look like. And for others of you, you just never thought about it. And I want you to know today that you have to be intentional. Just as you would want to grow physically in strength, you have to show up to the gym every day and be disciplined, so it is with your godliness. So it is with your faith, your Christian faith. So over these next six weeks, I'm asking that as many that will, you would commit to three things. One, you would commit to abide in Christ each day. What do you mean by that? That you would set a time each day to meet with Jesus. Now, I told you that can look like, we make it overly complicated overly complicated. Uh, For me, I'll just, I'm an early morning riser. In my office, there's a chair. And for me, it just becomes such a habit when I sit down in that chair early in the morning 
and I open my Bible and I pray and I like to journal prayers and write through the, it just, it's it just like the habit and the routine, just I, I sense God's presence there, okay? For some of you, for moms, mornings are busy. You're taking care of kids and you don't have that time. I think Jesus would say that's okay. Find time. Maybe do it in the evening. Maybe do it in the afternoon. Some of you have a commute. You're in the car for 45 minutes. You can do that in the car. Get the audio on, get the Bible on audio. Maybe turn the audio off and just use that as your prayer time. Put some worship music in your car. But whatever it is, whatever it works for you, whether it's in the car, whether it's at home, whether it's in the morning, whether it's in the evening, abide in Christ and be faithful and committed to doing it regularly. Do it regularly. That's one. Commit to that. The second thing I'm asking that as many as will is that you find a person that would hold you accountable for that. So this is especially true with those that have never done it before or you've, you've failed in, in doing it's just you've tried it and it hasn't worked. Find someone close to you and just say to them, say, I really want to commit over the next 30 days. Would you help me? Would you ask me at the end of the day, hey, did you, did you read the Bible today? Did you pray today? Did you journal today? Not in guilt or shame, but, but accountability. Find someone that can help hold you accountable. And here's a third one. I'm going to ask that those who would commit, that you would commit to abiding Christ at a regular time, every day, that you'd find a person to hold you accountable. And the third one is that you would write out, maybe it's tonight um, or tomorrow, this weekend, at some point, that you would write out spiritual goals. Now, this happens a lot in January when, you know, people have a goal to lose weight, okay? What do they typically do? They take a picture, a before and after picture. I'm not asking you to take any before and after pictures physically, but I want you to get that picture in your mind spiritually. And why do they do that? They want to see the end result. So they have this picture here, and then afterwards, they're hoping that their body looks different. So what I'm asking you to do is at some point before Monday, write down on a piece of paper where you are at spiritually and what you would like to see happen. Maybe your prayer life has, has dulled. Maybe it's been a season where you don't sense or hear the voice of God. Maybe as you read the Bible, it just, it's a struggle for you at times. It's okay. I'll be honest, as a pastor, sometimes when I read it, it, it's not, sometimes it's a struggle for me too. But just like physical training, spiritual training is sometimes not always easy. Just show up and do it. And so write out what your goals are, almost as a prayer. Lord, I'm, I'm feeling dull in my prayer life. God, I struggle to read the Bible. Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to journal. Serving, I just, I've never really found a place to serve. Giving has always been a struggle with me. I don't really, I'm not connected to church and community and I really would like to be. Write that down. Put a spiritual snapshot, if you will. And I am praying, I'm gonna be praying for you and we're gonna be praying for each other that after these six weeks, I believe that the Holy Spirit, if we're faithful to the practices and the Holy Spirit works, my prayer is that God will answer yours. So to help us do that, I tapped a good friend of mine on the shoulder. His name is Kent Chevalier and he works for Athletes in Action. And he happens to be the chaplain for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And so his job is to help walk the best football team in America in their faith. 
And he's tremendously supported by the Steeler organization. And Kent is a pastor or was a pastor. And now he's full-time with the Steelers. And I asked Kent, I said, Kent, we're doing this series called CrossFit. Raise your hand if you've, you've ever done CrossFit or you know of it. Okay. There's, there's three of us in here that are faithful <laughs> to CrossFit. Well, there's this, thing in, <laughs> there's this thing in CrossFit called Workout of the Day. How many of you ever heard of Workout of the Day or WOD? Okay, that's a, that's, okay, we're going to have spiritual workouts of the day. So I called Kent and I said, Kent, I want you, chaplain of the Pittsburgh Steelers, to be ACAC's spiritual trainer for the next six weeks. Would you do it? He said, man, I'm in. So beginning Monday, I think we're going to post it at like six or seven in the morning. You can go to any of our social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, LinkedIn, whatever it may be. Um, and Kent is going to give us a two to three minute spiritual prep pep talk, if you will. He's going to encourage you. So when we talk about Bible reading, he's going to give you some insights and talks about Bible reading. We talk about prayer that weekend, that next week he's going to talk about prayer. So I invite you to check out those social media insights as we have a spiritual trainer. So here's the thing, as I close and I pray, if you would be willing to commit to those three things, commit to abide in Christ each day, to find a regular time, commit to tap a person on the shoulder that would hold you accountable, and to give a snapshot of spiritual goals. And again, for some of you, you've done this for years, but maybe it's a new commitment. And for others, this is a first time out. I'm gonna ask that you stand tonight and I wanna pray a blessing over us. Don't stand if you're not serious about it, that's okay. Just go ahead and stand right now. If you're willing to commit over the next six weeks that we're gonna believe together that by practicing spiritual disciplines, it's not, it's not through the disciplines, we're not gonna be legalistic about it, but we're gonna believe that by doing so, by being disciplined and faithful and, and habitual, that the Holy Spirit will begin to transform us. Thank you for committing to do that. Let me pray. Father in heaven, you see the faith that each one of these people standing are committing to. And Lord, for some, it's a struggle. It's like hitting the gym for the first time and the muscles are sore. For some, they don't know what to do. God, I pray that you would see their faith and their commitment and their heart and that the Holy Spirit, the one who brings transformation, would be with them. God, when the enemy comes to discourage and to tempt them, I pray that you would increase their faith and encourage them. And God, I just ask that six weeks from now, we would look more like you. Lord, help us, because I know that there are a lot of people that would define Christians as my one friend did, who's hurt, and maybe hasn't seen a godly represent, representation. Lord, we want to be like the people in Antioch, where those outside the faith look at us and say, wow, they look like that man Jesus in the Bible. They love like that man Jesus. They're kind and they're gracious, they're patient, they're gentle, they're filled with joy. Would you do that in us as we're faithful to you? In your name, amen.